I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they mate picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. We have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Welcome back to United States of Dramerica, and I'm rather excited. We've had sports guests before, but we've never had an owner of a sports team, and we have today. So welcome to the podcast, the owner of Orange County Soccer Club, James Keston. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So let's start now. No offense to Orange County Soccer Club, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess here that not every single person listening to this podcast in Britain, or frankly, maybe even in America, will know about your team. So tell me who you are, where you play, all that stuff. Absolutely. You know, we are the uh, United Soccer League USL, which is the second division of US soccer right behind MLS. The league's been around for about 10 years. We are the fastest growing, I believe still, uh, second division league in the world. 35 clubs all across the United States, you know, in some of the biggest cities uh, in the U.S. and then in a lot of kind of second tier, middle tier cities. It's a uh, rapidly evolving league like everything else in U.S. soccer, but it's very exciting. It's grown exponentially in the five plus years since I've been an owner. And, you know, I really am enjoying this entire period of watching the sport grow in the U.S. and watching this league grow as the quality just explodes and the quality of American players explodes and we're having this kind of renaissance of the American player back in Europe, especially seeing them all get to play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in Champions League. Absolutely. Now, look, almost every person I know who's been involved in sports you know, we always have this sort of, if we won the lottery, you know, would we buy a football team sort of discussion? And my uncle was on the board of Cambridge City. I've always thought that at some point I'd like to be on the board of AFC Wimbledon. What made you actually do the thing that lots of people talk about, but very few managed to? Like, How did you end up owning a soccer team? And I think I'm right in saying that you tried to have other soccer teams before this one. Yeah, I, you look, it's a specific form of insanity, and it certainly creates a certain amount of bipolarity in your, in your joy and pain and, you know, the waxing and waning of the season. It, it becomes very, uh, very interesting. But I've been a lifelong soccer fan. I kind of grew up in the perfect time where the U.S. qualified for the first time for the World Cup uh, when I was 13 or 14. And then we hosted in 94 and I lived in Los Angeles and got to go to a lot of those games. And obviously that was kind of the coming out party for the U.S. And it was a combination of the fact that we were getting into the world's game, but also kind of the character of those teams was exactly 
you know, what you loved about sports and what you loved about competitors and these guys scrapping around, didn't even have a league four years before. And next thing you know, they're in the second round of the World Cup and they're playing against the biggest teams in the world. So, you know, I was always passionate about the game, lived all over the world in England and France and Spain and you know, always wanted to do that if I ever felt like our league really was starting to turn into a business. In 2005, 2006, I actually owned the rights to Seattle and Portland expansion in the MLS. It was a, uh, you know, I think the league hadn't taken off in the way it did three or four years later. You know, we always tell the story that uh, we had some consultants working with us. We said, you know, we think they can draw 14, 15,000 people a game up in the football stadium in Seattle. And our consultants said, you'd be lucky if you get 11 or 12. And I think they averaged like 41,000 people the first game, which, you know, partially reminds you that nobody knows anything, but partially, you know, reminds you that ultimately the passion is what drives you to want to get involved in this. We got very close on that process. And 2007 hit the uh, real estate business, which is my primary business, obviously had some big hiccups. And I went back and kind of went to work out those problems for a couple of years and somebody else stepped in and, uh, and bought that Seattle team. And obviously the rest is history. And the reality is that I went on with my life and I got married, I had kids and kind of thought that uh, this might not happen again, but I was always keeping an eye on what was going on in soccer in the U.S. and uh, started to hear about the USL, heard a little bit more, and, you know, had that conversation with my wife who said, you know, you can do anything as long as it's in Southern California, which really limited my options. And there was a team in Orange County that was struggling greatly and, you know, played in a 400-seat stadium with big concrete seats and, you know, drew a couple hundred people a game. And I said, you know what? It's it's now or never. I want to build this thing. I'm going to grow it. We're going to start from scratch. And, uh, you know, we're going to do something exciting here. So uh, when you got them, they, they were the Orange County Blues and played in blue. It seems to me the most obvious thing in the world, but you now play in orange, which feels feels right. Yes. <laughs> there, you know, there's low hanging fruit always <laughs> at the beginning. And that's definitely, uh, we, you know, we did a complete rebranding and really kind of came out with, with what we considered a, a theme and a mission statement. And, you know, it really was about finding a new stadium to play in rebranding and then coming out and making soccer relevant, especially in orange County. And a lot of that, relates to obviously just putting on a professional front and putting a good game on the field. But also that comes down to player development. You know, Orange County probably has as many youth soccer players as anywhere in the United States and challenges a lot of places in the world, given the size of Orange County. And a lot of, you know, up until 10, 20 years ago, a lot of the best players in the history of U.S. soccer, national team players all came from Southern California and Orange County and that had really started to stop in the last five years or so. But the sheer quantity of players, we said, look, we got talent. They don't have a pathway to professional. They don't really have a real connection with MLS. 
but increasingly they want to go pro and the best ones are looking to Europe and that's a process we can make happen and we can create that pathway. The thing is, obviously, I know football as a you know former sports journalist, but just somebody who likes football. So I understand the USL. Obviously, for, particularly in America where, you know, for some people, even the MLS feels relatively new and they don't quite understand it. But the USL is, is very legitimate in the sense of, Obviously, as you said, it's the fastest growing secondly, but there's some serious people involved. So like Didier Drogba has been involved. Landon Donovan is executive of San Diego. There's ex-national team players in the league, including obviously your own team. So it is a sort of, I get a hidden gem. I like I like hidden gem, less hidden than it was two and three years ago, especially in the last year. You know, we've managed to get ourselves onto a lot of ESPN nationwide games and ESPN two and we're on ESPN plus across the United States starting to kind of get on across different parts of the world. You know, look, it's a combination of the size of the country and the fact that there's a kind of historical precedent and system that developed over 30, 40 years of the best players basically going to youth clubs that then were trying to get them college scholarships. And as the quality of the league improved, the quality of the players improved, and more and more kids decided they wanted to go pro, it's increasingly not a viable pathway for a lot of these kids that really want to be pros, especially the ones that want to make it big and want to play on the biggest stages in the world. They can't go to college simply because the amount of hours you're permitted to play in college, you know, is the equivalent of, you know, a fifth of a regular year that you would get out of an MLS or USL state season. So, you know, we're really trying to change that pathway and change the way young players in America think about soccer. I think part of that, you're seeing that with the Pulisics and the McKinney's and the Sargent's and a hundred other kids who've gone over that you've never heard of to second and third division German clubs and UK clubs. But Within the U.S., outside of maybe, you know, the Dallases, maybe one or two other MLS clubs, nobody has ever done a great job of providing a pathway that can see them get to the biggest clubs in the world. And nobody really had made it explicit that that's what they were doing, that ultimately your job is to provide that pathway to these young players that want to make it on the biggest stage in the world. Now, look, for some guests on this podcast, we can often drift quite a long way into the conversation before we do the whiskey bit. But I know, you know, you like whiskey as much as any of the guests I think we've ever had on this podcast. So we should do whiskey now and then we can actually rather helpfully segue into talking about Scotland. So let's just have a whiskey moment. So obviously we're over Zoom, as is the way at the moment. So different whiskeys, I imagine. What's in your glass over there? We have the uh, the Balvenie 14. Sacrilegiously, I like a... Uh a cube of ice or two in there, but hopefully I will not be mocked too, uh, too strongly. But, uh, you know, I think as I've gotten older, my, uh, my love for whiskey, especially uh, Scotch whiskey, has increased incrementally. And, you know, just a happy moment of my evening. Very good. Now, look, we're, we're very clear on this podcast. We do not mock people for how they drink it. The key thing, it's not it's not how you drink it, it's whether you drink it. That's the yeah. best thing for us. So at my end, I tried to pick, for reasons that become very obvious very quickly, a distillery that's very close to Glasgow. 
And so I picked Ockentoshan because it's about 10 miles away. And so I've got the Ockentoshan three word. Now, Ockentoshan, for those of you who, as I'm sure you know, in Gaelic means corner of the field. Now, obviously, um, I think in, well, in America, you call the pitch a field anyway. So this feels like an appropriate sports drink to have. Now, I'm sure the corner of the field was actually a barley field rather than a football pitch. But still, it's the principle. So I'm going for corner of the field, three wood. So Glasgow Rangers. You, you, you know, you've talked about this pathway you have to pro. You have a full on relationship with the club that has won more trophies than anybody else in European soccer. That we do. And it's, uh, you know, it's been probably the most exciting and fun part of this process. You know, from the day I bought the team, myself and our GM, Oliver Vies, had really started that search for the perfect European club to partner with. You know, we believe more than anything, there are a lot of, talents and skills and coaching skills and organizational skills that you can get from clubs that have been successful. You know, there's no reason for us to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is already working quite fine. We just need to find out all the best pieces that work for us. But, you know, we wanted that aspirational piece with a club that had a history and really wanted to work with us. And that process took us a couple of years to find the right partner you know, we were very close with a couple of the one or two of the biggest clubs in the world. But ultimately, we need to find the perfect club for us that really would have a size of a market that was a little bit smaller and that was excited by, you know, six, eight, 10 million people, which are within an hour's driving distance of, of Orange County and really played on the highest level in Champions League and Europa League and wanted to build out their exposure in the United States and wanted at the same time, you know, to do a player exchange where their players would play with grown men in a great league that's up and coming and our players would get to play in, you know, a Champions League quality uh, youth academy. Because I mean, maybe I was unfair to say Hidden Gem before. Um, so this week, this past week, I was sitting there minding my own business, watching the Champions League and... When the Champions League game finished, I wasn't sure, for those who watch this stuff, I wasn't sure if we were going to get the last 86 minutes of the PSG game. Um, <laughs> but in the end, obviously, they pushed that back a day. But on comes a documentary which features Orange County and Rangers on you know, football afternoon TV in America on a network. So I guess you're not that hidden after all if you're appearing in documentaries. You know, I think, again, we have our own uh, special talents and uh, peculiarities in uh, Southern California. And one of it is that every person you can uh, reach with a stone's throw is somehow involved in television or Hollywood. Fortunately, we had that with one of our investors and actually with my brother, who's an accomplished film director and producer. So we really, from the beginning, thought we can't just talk about this. It's not going to have the impact it needs to. We need to show this. We need to get these kids out there and show these, you know, 15 to 19 year old kids trying to make their dreams happen. And that's ultimately what this is all about is 
the documentary, you know, it's showing all the things that are going on and how good the relationship has become between Rangers and OCSC and the fact that we just transferred our first player. Aaron Cervantes, a goalkeeper who's very talented, 18 years old, over to Rangers a couple months ago. But the larger thing is really this is a pathway and we expect this to go on for years and years. And we're actually in negotiations already with a uh, very uh, large network on your uh, side of the pond to potentially do a much expanded season two of the documentary. And really, it is talking about these kids and their dreams and what it's like to try to actually follow your dream. Because, you know, it was quite, it's your classic sort of fish-out-of-water sports documentary that have become very, very popular since, I think, the Arizona Cardinals over here was the first one, and now there's been everything from Man City to the very famous Sunderland one, the All Blacks, and so on. Now, yeah, I have to say, having watched the documentary, the, my favourite part of the entire documentary is every time a Scottish person is on, is on camera, they have subtitles. So um, <laughs> was that... Was that the production company's idea? Was that a network insistence? Did the Scottish people admit that no one understands them? How did that come about? The honest to God truth was that we had thought, honestly, that we weren't going to do it. And, you know, we have we have a good degree of uh, humor between us and uh, Rangers, uh, especially with kind of, kind of the, uh, some of the native-born Scots that come from a little farther out than Glasgow. But we really didn't think it was going to be necessary. And when we started really showing this around to people, especially in the U.S., you know, we had the first episode kind of teased on ESPN. And then these four episodes are now on uh, CBS Sports Network. And the first two have already aired. The second two are going to air on the 24th of December. But really, after every conversation we had, that's really, unfortunately, the messaging we got back, which was, your visuals are spectacular. We think the kids are really funny and engaging, but we're not 100% sure because we didn't understand every second or third line that was coming out. You know, I think, look, ultimately, ultimately it turned out, I think, much better because it really does let you know exactly what they're saying. And once you get rid of the accents, the conversations that these kids are having on both sides of the pond are obviously exceptionally similar. Yeah. No, absolutely. So switching gears a little bit. So I mean, I watched the first two episodes because they're the ones that have been on. Obviously, it's set in this, what has been this previous season. So I'm assuming that episodes three and four will start having some of the disruption that coronavirus has caused to live sport. So moving on to that, owning a any sorts of sports team during a global pandemic when everything is disrupted, you know, fans can't come in the stadium, but more than that, you're not even sure if your players can play. For a pro club, is a huge deal. I think the MLS say they lost a billion dollars in the past year. When you're owning a team in the level below, presumably it is even harder to run a sports team during a global pandemic. You know, I think there is no way to describe what's happening now you know, my advice for anybody interested in owning a sports team is make sure you budget double or triple what uh, whatever you thought you were going to budget initially. But aside from that, you know, we are in the brand building process, which is really what we continue to say to ourselves and to our employees, which is, look, you're going to lose a little bit more money this year than you would have. But for us, 
as frustrating as it has been, especially in California, which is far stricter than a lot of other places in the U.S., not having any fans in a stadium, you know, what we've been able to do on the player development side and transferring, we transferred a player earlier this year to uh, Wolfsburg and uh, the Bundesliga. We transferred another player to Rangers. We've got another three or four that are, uh, that are actively being pursued. And one who, if you watch the documentary is being pursued by some of the biggest clubs in the premier league and in the Scottish league. And that part of the process, it's really given us time to focus you know, 90% of our time on developing that pathway, getting kids into the right system, getting the right coaches. And we have a number of coaches coming over in the next couple of months from Rangers to really focus on our young talent players, do talent ID, and to really start preparing these kids for what it's like when they move, make their move over to Europe, you know, anywhere from age 16, if they have a UK passport up to 18. But it's, you know, look, it's been like nothing anyone could imagine, but you got to focus on what your business plan is. And our business plan has two sides. One of them is a live events business. And look, live events ain't so good in the pandemic. But the second part of our business is to be part of the $5.2 billion a year global transfer market. And we plan on doing that. We're well on our way. And that's actually probably been accelerated within the last six to nine months. So a few episodes ago on this podcast, we had the head of corporate development at LAFC, and her and I, we think, broadly concluded that at whatever point Stadia are allowed to reopen, and obviously we don't know when that will be, and it will be different in California to other places, there will be, we think, a massive clamour for live sports. Like people will be desperate, having had to watch so much on TV and just not do anything to get back into stadia. Whenever you're allowed to let people in, do you think you will see, assuming it can be done safely and so on, do you think you will see higher attendances than you maybe did pre-pandemic because people are just desperate to see something? I think at some point we will. I think, unfortunately, Some people are overestimating how quickly a lot of this process is going to get done, especially the vaccination process and, you know, the way that people are going to get comfortable coming out to live events. You know, I think ultimately, yes, I think everything from live sports to travel at some point near the end of 2021 is going to get flooded by people who just want to get out of their house. You know, for those of us who have young kids, for the uh, sake of both our sanities and our marriages, it's very important that we get out and get to spend some time walking around somewhere else, whether it be on a beach or in a desert. But, uh, you know, I think, again, part of this is returning things to normal. And part of it, especially for us, is just a speeding up of the process of identifying what you know, the future of sports is going to be and the future of viewership is going to be. And a lot of that, you know, is not just the live portion of it. It is the broadcast portion. It's especially the social media portion and getting to know these players and getting to know these clubs, you know, through everything from esports and video games to, you know, your digital footprint and everything in between. And I think this whole process has really sped that up to start thinking about your club 
from a larger perspective and about your brand and building out a brand that, you know, the people within your community can be proud of. If you were a betting man, and I don't know what the USL rules are, I mean, you probably can't bet on these things, but what do you think next season will look like in the USL in terms of fans? Um, will you be allowed? Will they be allowed in, do you think? I think, you know, especially for people outside the US, the extent of differentiation between the different parts of the US is kind of hard for people to grasp and how differently they've approached the pandemic and live events and everything in between. You know, California, Washington, and Oregon, to some extent, have kind of bundled together and followed the same policies, which have been very strict. And I would not expect that to change till the second half of uh, 2021 at the earliest. But there are other parts of the United States, you know, including Texas, parts of the Midwest, where they have, you know, throughout the pandemic, they were up, they were open at least 50%, Mm. uh, if not more. And I think that'll continue to be the case. Unfortunately, regardless of what the numbers turn out to be, uh, they will continue to uh, keep themselves open to some extent. So is there a version of events where you you could play an empty stadium home game and then go to a full stadium away game when you play Las Vegas, for example? I think there is. I think think uh, it'll be very interesting once uh, the vaccine gets into enough hands, once we start getting into the uh, the spring, how different parts of the United States react to this and what kind of guidance we get from the federal government. And again, you know, California has, I believe, nearly 40 million people now. It is in and of itself distinct from most other parts of the United States. And I think the pandemic and the way we've dealt with this has made that even more so. And I think we're going to... Uh, see more and more of that as it relates to policy and especially to public health within Orange County. You know, the reaction between Orange County, Texas and uh, Oklahoma is going to be so different that uh, it's going to be difficult to distinguish that uh, we're in different countries. Yeah. I I mean, it's interesting because obviously, actually, that's happening at the moment in England because of the tier system. I think there was 2,000 fans at an Everton game this weekend and no fans at a game in the north and then another 2,000 in London. So I think it's, you know, they're doing that thing where it's differentiated. Obviously, the USA will never go into a bubble because that financially wouldn't make the sense that it did for NBA and MLS. But presumably, because it is a unique situation, there'll be flexibility where, you know, for the season schedule, maybe, you know, you, you play more away games at the beginning than home games until, you know, if California is a month or two behind Nevada. Presumably everything is on the table for flexibility to just try and make something work that makes financial sense. Yeah. And look, I think last year on the scheduling portion, the USL did a great job of understanding, you know, where our clubs are in and, you know, what the different situations within the different states and localities were and really adjusting to that. And to be honest with you, I think our players did a magnificent job in USL of keeping themselves safe and keeping themselves away from COVID. And I think part of that was that you have a lot of family owned clubs and small clubs that really do care about their players and take care of them. 
And part of it is that, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, multimillionaires uh, in our league that are getting paid high salaries. These guys live on their salaries and they're, you know, ultimately they don't have a safety net the way some other people might. And they take their behavior very seriously. And, you know, I was very, very impressed with our players and the way they dealt with this entire thing. Just absolutely professional. So two slightly harder questions, if I may. So first one is, when will, if ever, there'll be, will there be promotion and relegation between the USL and the MLS? Like, dare I say, in every other sensible country's soccer leagues? I will leave it with no. <laughs> no, no, never. I do not believe, I do not believe ultimately we will be able to find that pathway to promotion relegation, the United States soccer development. I shouldn't say never. Perhaps I would say, uh, you know, within the next 20 years, I can't envision it happening. I could see MLS combining with Liga MX much faster than I could see, you know, a promotion relegation system. Okay. Interesting. I, I, you might, I'm sure you're right. Um, so, so this one's even harder because you can't you can't just blame the MLS for this one. So, if you as an owner had a choice, I'm going to give you three options between winning the league, selling one of your players to, let's say Rangers for multi million dollar deal, or be getting some kind of ridiculous international sponsorship deal like the size of the sort of like when Red Bull came in and became Red Bull Leipzig and completely changed <laughs> that team coming in and having a sort of Red Bull Orange County or or whatever that might look like which of those three would you choose you know I think it's a it's a good question but an easy one for us because it's one we deal with every year I mean the sponsorship question is a uh, entirely different question and exists kind of to some extent outside of our control and business pathway. As to the other two, as I constantly say to our coach, Braden Cloutier and our GM, Oliver Vives, we are not allowed to choose between one or the other. We have two business models that run simultaneously. One is developing talented players to go play in the biggest leagues in the world. The second is to win a USL championship and there will not be a conversation that does not take both of those equally seriously and try to do both of those. And, you know, my justification for that is actually pretty simple. It's that we have the benefit in USL of being an imperfect league. And the more, to some extent, the more money and the more focus that goes on a league, I think it becomes harder and harder uh, and especially once data starts getting into some of these leagues, as it is a lot more in a lot of the big European leagues, it becomes harder and harder to exploit, you know, slight variations and slight changes. USL is still a very imperfect league, and we still certainly have the ability to bring in, you know, guys like uh, Michael Orozco, who was capped 30 times for the U.S. national team, you know, scored the only goal ever and the only win ever by the U.S. against Mexico at the Azteca and a very experienced guy that won championships in Mexico and played in MLS. Thomas Ennevoldsen, who started for Denmark in the World Cup uh, and played along, 
played a number of years in the German and Dutch leagues and a number of other guys that are very veteran and senior. We can bring them in. And at the same time, we can develop the uh, Francis Jacobs and the Kobe Henrys and the Aaron Cervantes and stay competitive every single year. Certainly in the last, since I've been owner, we've been able to do both of those simultaneously. And I expect us to do that every single year, which uh, is certainly a little more challenging than I think a lot of other organizations. But fortunately, I got a great coach and I got a great GM. Very good. All right. So the final question, this isn't this is not necessarily easier, but at least there's no wrong answers here and you can't offend anybody, including your fan base. So if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Where would it be? And what would it be? <sighs> that is a that is a very challenging question. You know, my initial answer, my uh my son is named after uh, Alexander Hamilton, and this predates the the play and the uh, all of the craziness that came along with that. And he's always been, as somebody who has uh, multiple degrees in uh, history, that that is somebody that I've always really wanted to meet and sit down with. Probably, maybe if I could have Hamilton and Franklin together, uh, I think that would be a very enjoyable evening in a pub. And, you know, I think as it relates to, is this just whiskey or am I, or am I, am I broadening out to, to all different forms of alcohol? I'd rather you stuck to whiskey, but it could be fantasy yeah. whiskey. Like it can be the one that even the owner of a soccer club can't afford to buy because it's not. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the who, where's the, where's the where and what's the what? You know, one of my favorite scenes in all movies I've ever seen, is was, there's a scene in *Inglorious Bastards*, a Quentin Tarantino movie, takes place in a small village in France in a bar that's a subterranean bar, uh, right before the best scene in the movie. And uh, he calls over to the waiter and he asks for a uh, 33-year-old whiskey, and then he kind of mumbles it and he says, "From the Scottish Highlands." So I'm not 100% sure exactly what the whiskey was, but whatever that whiskey is, that's what I want. That's what me and uh, me and Alexander and Benjamin would be uh, would be drinking and uh, pondering. What what a great answer because it's not that you have what you I guess you haven't named the whiskey, but the thing on this podcast is whiskey's about storytelling and narratives and who you're with when you drink it. So actually whatever the whiskey was that they had that made the things that happened then happen in that movie is actually rather a good answer. So I love it. James Keston, whiskey drinker, soccer stroke football club owner. Thank you very much for your time. Good luck for whatever the coming season looks like on and off the field. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Mm, I love scotch. 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 And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>